I want to share with you just a few minutes about kind of what makes this church um, tick. And I have the fortune, the privilege, the blessing of pastoring a church that was already this way. Uh, rarely do you enter a pastorate which is so um, unified and everyone's going in the right direction and everyone's excited about serving. Uh, but that's what I inherited in, in this ministry, in this church, because of my dad. And I want to share with you just from Hebrews chapter 13, and you all can, can look at that with me, uh, 12 things that would uh, had better be a part of every uh, successful church. And when I say successful, I'm just talking about not necessarily a certain size. I'm not talking about necessarily a certain number of salvations or baptisms, I'm talking about a church that is serving the Lord with energy and with joy and, and letting the Lord uh, deal with the results. But, you know, in Revelation, we're given a list of seven churches, and I believe those were real, actual churches with pastors. And Jesus was giving them each a message. And most of those churches, I would not want to be the pastors of, there are a couple. The one that I would love to be is Philadelphia. Philadelphia. They got such great uh, commendation from Jesus Christ, and they were doing everything right. Uh, and then we come to the last church, which is Laodicea. And that would be the absolute worst pastorate, I think, for a pastor to take, the First Baptist Church of Laodicea. Uh, because they were lukewarm, Jesus said, I would, I would uh, want to vomit because they were not, not on fire for Jesus Christ. And so I look at the churches of Revelation, not just as local churches. I think they, of course they were, and he was speaking to those local churches, but I think he was also speaking to, of church ages. And I'm not saying I'm going to die on that hill to say I'm positive, but it sure seems like as you look at the churches, they do seem to match the church ages that we've been in. Uh, not that there are more than one church age, but different uh, subsections of the church age. And we're in that last age, I think. You know, we're in that age of Laodicea. So how can we have a Philadelphia church in the age of Laodicea? That's really what my heart is, and I know that's probably what your heart is. And I'm going to give you the secret of Quentin Road, which really isn't a secret. It's just... It's just being biblical, just trying to really follow uh, the scripture closely. And we're going to talk about 12 things. And I, I know I don't have a lot of time, and you're probably doubtful that I'm going to get through all 12 of these, but we're going to do the best we can. I'll talk fast if you'll listen fast, okay? Number one, number one, the first thing that I think every church needs to be is loving. Now you say, well, you know, isn't that the problem that's all churches are. Yeah, that's probably the problem. They, they're only loving and they don't have some of these other qualities, but this is still the chief quality. We have to be a church that lets brotherly love continue. That's Philadelphia love. That's what Philadelphia means. Brotherly love. We have to come across to our community as loving. They're going to see that in our lives. Uh, I'm not saying we can't take stands. As you see, as we go down the list, there are times when we need to take stands. But I hope the community, as by and large, as they look at 
your church and my church, they will see a church that really does love people. And we show that and people sense that and they hear about that, those stories of love. Number two, and, and, and our church I think has a lot of these qualities. Number two, I think the church needs to be friendly. In verse two of Hebrews 13, be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I just preached about angels and demons and I thought this was a just an amazing passage as we talk about. Have any of you ever met someone that is kind of mysterious and then you can never find them again? And I don't know. It's, it's really curious, isn't it? Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. Hospitality. Uh, being friendly. You know, it's something that especially in the North, we don't have as much of that. If you're from the South, you're from Georgia, you've got that, right? You've got that hospitality, that, that friendliness. But I think we need to teach that to our people. And I think that might be one of our secrets without even realizing it. My dad was a very friendly personality. Uh, if you knew him, you, you were his friend, probably. Um, unless you disagreed with him, of course. But he was a friendly person. In the hospital, he didn't know any of these nurses. By the end of his stay, getting a heart valve or whatever he was in for, um, they would, they'd be cracking up, you know, just because he had such a friendly personality. Well, this is biblical. We need to be people that are friendly and willing to entertain and willing to host and help. And I know it's hard, because we have busy lives, but we can't forget that component as a church. And we need to teach that uh, to our church, to not be forgetful to entertain strangers. Uh, and wouldn't it be amazing if we find out one day that we have come across actual angels as Abraham did. Number three, a church, a successful church needs to be compassionate. Hebrews thirteen three says, remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them. Now, this was more prevalent in that day that they were in bounds or had been arrested because of the fact that they were Christians. I think this certainly applies to our churches that we are compassionate to those that are in, in prison. And I hope that we all have uh, some sort of prison ministry in our churches. And if we have someone, right now we have a member that's incarcerated, uh, and I, I basically said, listen, I'm sorry that you're going away, but you are now our missionary. And, uh, and it's amazing because he's in a, he's in a prison, an Illinois prison, that the chaplain never comes out of her office. And that's sad. So many opportunities to minister to people. So I told this man, his name is Charlie. I said, Charlie, God picked this one for you, for you to be the chaplain. And so praise God that we can remember them. Um, we're communicating. We're, uh, we're going to visit him and it's like two and a half hour drive. But do that. Don't forget those that are in bonds. Now, uh, they were in bond, bonds because of Christ and because of the gospel. And we have such wonderful freedom here. We don't have to worry about that as much. Maybe we will. But we have students in Dayspring Bible College this year from China, and they have to worry. 
about if they're in church, uh, people coming in to arrest them. They have to worry about that. And uh, the first Sunday that they got uh, to Dayspring, um, they were all sitting in a certain row. And I was sitting next to my wife, Karen, and I was watching them have their first service without fear. And their face was enraptured. We, we don't realize how good we have it. And so let's make sure we are compassionate and make sure we remember them that are suffering adversity and, uh, and, and putting ourselves in their situation and never neglecting that, having compassion in our church. Number four, this is really important, especially in our day of Laodicea, that we have a pure church. And here the author of Hebrews is talking about the importance of marriage and the bed undefiled and sexual purity. Uh, we have to be pure in our culture, in our day when purity is thrown out the window, that we have make, the, make this an important thing in our own lives as ministers, as leaders in the church especially, but that we deal with immorality, that we handle issues and things as they come up. And it's hard, but if you don't deal with things, you're going to be a Corinth, another church that you probably wouldn't take as a pastor at the First Baptist Church of Corinth. Okay, We have to make sure that we are pure before God, especially in the area of sexual purity. And then number five, the secret of our church is that we have a church that is is thankful and content. Let your conversation, your way of life, be without covetousness. This goes counter to the culture, doesn't it? We have a culture that wants you to buy things. And it's all geared for that. You probably don't even realize this, but social media is out to get you to buy something or do something. Okay, So let's be careful not to let that grip us as a church, as a body. Be content with what you have. You know, I think that's one of the things that my dad taught me when uh, we were early in ministry. We didn't have much. And mom is here today, and she can certainly attest to that even more than I can. But I remember, you know, times which um, all the kids in school had the name brand tennis shoes, and I had tracks, which were, I think, Walmart shoes. You, you know you did that to me, right? There wasn't Walmart because there was no Walmart. It was Kmart. Yeah, Kmart. You don't even remember what Kmart is, do you? Some of you young ones. Do you guys? So you kids in the front row, you three right here, do you guys know what Kmart is? No. Yeah, one of you. They're still around, right? A little bit here and there. Do you all remember the blue light special? We just had a, a family lose one of the spouses and uh, he would go to Kmart to take her on a date. Oh, he's here. Uh, Mike, can I tell the story? Good. Uh, <laughs> Mike just lost his wife, but she was, been, they've been such faithful longtime members. And he would take her on uh, dates to uh, all you can eat Kmart spaghetti for 99 cents. So, hey, it's a good deal. And she seemed to be okay with it, right? Because I think she was very frugal as well, Holly. So uh, be content with what you have. You know, what, what does God say we, we need? Uh, basically, it's shelter, 
food, uh, and clothing. That's it. And I, I once wrote a list of all the things that I, in my normal day that I have, starting with fresh roasted, fresh ground, fresh brewed coffee with the right kind of creamer and, you know, go through the list. Like it's crazy how much stuff we think we have to have. But hey, well, coffee probably we do, but the rest of it, uh, be content. Be content. Let your, let your way of life reflect that. Make sure, make sure your church reflects your contentment. And that's the secret of a successful church or a growing church. Uh, number six is submission. Submission. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7 and, uh, and 17, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, their way of life. And then in verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Uh, this is one of the areas I think some pastors struggle with, and that is humble leadership. Uh, you know, we, we get the, the humility part, and that's good, but we also have to lead. And we have to make sure not as a dictator, not as a lord, but as a, a shepherd. A shepherd has to lead. The shepherd has to guide. The shepherd has to make decisions. Even if some of the sheep are squawking, you make the best decision for the entire body and you go that way and teach them submission, teach them to obey, uh, teach these principles in the word of God. Don't neglect that. Again, we're not talking about being a Lord. We're just talking about being a humble leader and, and not letting people Dictate because if you're going to let the the sheep dictate everything, you're not going to go anywhere. Okay, so get input, get counsel, uh, make sure you're uh, you're prayed up, and then make that decision and then lead. Okay, and then the church, I believe, will learn how to follow. Uh, number seven this is an important one. Oh, by the way, let's read the end of seventeen. They must give account. So those in your church that don't like the fact that you're going to be a, a firm leader, a kind but firm leader, remind them that you have to answer to God, okay? So you actually have the harder job. So as you give account, that you may do it with joy and not with grief. Okay, so number seven, doctrinally sound. Now, we started with love, friendliness, compassion, all of that. This is also important. We can't neglect sound doctrine, in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, a lot of times people will read things, especially in the New Testament, and say, well, that's cultural. Uh, and usually it has to do with women uh, being allowed to preach. And the, the Bible is clear, especially in that regard, that it's deeper than cultural. It actually had to do with the garden and with Adam and Eve and Eve being deceived. And so let's hold fast to those clear doctrines in scripture that most churches are throwing to the wayside. Okay. Um, be not a sound doctrinally because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever be carried not about with various diverse, strange doctrines for it is good uh, that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And then we come to separation. And, and to me, uh, this is something that we did frequently in our church. When I was growing up, we were very careful about 
not joining in ecclesiastically or ecumenically with other, other things, especially as it had to do with evangelism. We never promoted the crusades. If whoever was coming to town, Billy Graham or whoever, um, and my dad's, my dad's concern was that at those crusades, especially the Billy Graham crusades, he would use Catholic priests to counsel those that came forward that were Catholic. So what's the gospel going to be, right? So in those areas, we never, uh, we were very separated, very careful. Now there are areas that we can cooperate, uh, but it's pretty rare these days, right? I think Maybe life is one of those issues that we can do some cooperation, but never, never where it uh, would affect the gospel, never where it would affect doctrine. And then the, the scripture in Hebrews 13, this is really interesting. It says in verse 10, uh, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle for the bodies of those beasts, which whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Now, what's that principle? Well, Jesus, the principle is Jesus, okay, uh, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate, outside the gate. So Jesus was outside the gate. And the context here is Christians, especially in Jerusalem, as the Jewish people were pushing out Christians, okay, so we're going to be separated. It's not the end of the world that we're outside the gate because Jesus was outside the gate. He suffered reproach. Okay, so if, if we have to suffer reproach because of our separation, I'm not talking about just separating because you want to be a capital, whatever, you know, I'm just, you know, yelling and screaming. I'm talking about with a good reason and good biblical reasons, we are separate and, and, and people don't understand that. One of the things that we, we never joined into was promise keepers. Again, I think probably the, the idea was good and let's get men to, uh, to be, better at being husbands and all of that, but it was so ecumenical. It was so hodgepodge that we never joined in. And some, some people didn't understand that. Well, who cares if they don't understand it, right? Do the right thing and uh, make sure we stay separated uh, as, as God would want us to. It says, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach for here we have no continuing city. Um, isn't that interesting? I was just in Jerusalem a few days ago, and that city won't be there anymore. Chicago won't be here anymore. Wherever you're from, I don't care how grand your city is, we were in Dubai a few months ago. Amazing. Amazing. I've never seen anything like Dubai. It's going to be gone. Okay? There's no continuing city here, but we seek one to come. Amen? Think about that. That city. So if you're, if you're misunderstood because of a stand that you're taking as a church, because of separation, don't worry about it. Stay faithful and do what's right. And one day there's a continuing city. There's a city that is coming down from heaven, the new Jerusalem that we get to be part of. And that's our eternal home. So we praise the Lord for that. Number nine, offering praise, offering praise, being thankful. Uh, Hebrews thirteen fifteen. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that it be the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I hope we don't just emphasize thankfulness in November. 
as a, as a pastor, we're always trying to share with our church all the things that God is doing so that we can rejoice, that we can praise him, that we can offer up our praise. If there's any success in this church, it's all to God's glory. It's all to God's credit. We have done nothing. All we are are his servants. And if there's anything good, it is because of him. And we bring him praise continually, even in the hard times. And that's really tough, isn't it? To give God praise in the, in the hard times. And I've met some people that are in desperate situations, but they still have that amazing outlook to say, Lord, I trust you. Uh, this is tough. This is hard. I don't understand it. But I know there's a good thing at the end of this. And I'm, I'm grateful that you're allowing this trial into my life. So the fruit of our lips, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Then we have benevolent, being benevolent. Do good, do good, and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. Do good. Be benevolent. Look for those opportunities. Look for the people in your church that are hurting. Find ways to bless them. Uh, you know, the, those that uh, don't have much. Uh, look, for, look for ways to, uh, and we, Karen and I, and our church, we love looking for people that just need a little uh, extra. I think that's actually the best model for helping people, people that are poor. You know, I think, you know, the government and all that, okay. But what's God's plan? God's plan is for the church to meet the needs of those that are hurting. And so look for those ways to do good, to communicate, to not forget people. Because with these things, it's as if we're offering a sacrifice to God and he's pleased with that. Number 11, the secret to a God-honoring church, and that is to be prayerful. Hebrews 13 Verse 18, pray for us, pray for us. And I'll just say this to you, pray for us. Thank you for your prayers. So many of you tell me we're praying for you and that means so much to us. Your prayers, we pray for you. Let's continue that. Let's be a prayerful people for we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. And then number 12, I, I really think this is an important hallmark for every church. If we don't have this, we really don't have much, okay? And, and I, I feel like we're, we're getting, um, the gospel is by and large in most churches are getting uh, less clear, less succinct, less biblical, and we also aren't giving it much. You know, we're confusing discipleship and salvation, service and salvation. And so the gospel's really getting muddy. And we have to be really cautious with this that in our churches, the gospel's clear. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation. Without the gospel, without the clarity of the gospel, I had, I had one evangelist tell me that I, I was kind of overdoing it on making sure the gospel was clear. And I'm like, you're an evangelist. If there's anyone that should be really careful about the gospel, he said, well, I just think that, you know, we do our best and God will kind of fix it. Well, do our best. Yeah, let's make sure the gospel is clear. It's not hard. It's, it's eight words, you know. The gospel is not that difficult. Um, but making sure it's not just clear, but that it's given. 
And I'll just tell you what we do. Um, we're large enough, so I don't know everyone in the service. So I'm going to give it in every service. I'm going to make sure I give the gospel in some form or fashion in every service. We give it at funerals. You got to give it at funerals. It's the best time to give the gospel, especially if you have an open casket. Okay. People are listening. Um, and, and weddings, we give the gospel at weddings. Do you do that? Give the gospel. We give the gospel pretty much all the time, making sure it's always central, making sure we're always talking about it, uh, getting encouraging our people to give the gospel, making sure they're equipped with training and tracks, whatever they need to give the gospel. Now, the God of peace that brought again that from the dead, our Lord Jesus, is that the gospel? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus died and rose again. Uh, that's the gospel. If you'll trust in him, you'll be saved. The great shepherd of the sheep through the blood, through the blood. Don't forget the blood in the gospel. And I'll uh, be talking more about that in my session tomorrow night, making sure we are clear in the gospel. Uh, make you perfect, complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel is simple. It's clear. It's, it's a, uh, a glory. We actually hang the gospel on our, on our wall, so you can't miss it. Can you, uh, can you kids see the gospel on our, on our wall? Yeah, so we have a couple of verses that we really emphasize. Uh, and one is in John 3. And it's, it's a real simple verse. It's actually, I think the whole Bible boiled down into one verse. And it's, it says this, it says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, his one of a kind, Jesus, that whosoever, now that's a beautiful word, whosoever. Um, I believe Dr. Stringer's message is going to reflect on that word, uh, whosoever. That's going to be a, a, just a fantastic message. And it'll be his last message before he's 70. So that'll be good to hear. No, maybe you're preaching Sunday. So um, your birthday is, where are you, Dr. Stringer? Oh, your birthday is Tuesday? So we get to do this all over again on Tuesday for you. Um, but uh, whosoever means what? You kids probably know. Whosoever means some people, most people, all people, Right? Anybody, whosoever, it's very inclusive, believeth. What does that word mean? It just means to trust, to believe in him, in him, in who? Jesus, in him, okay? You're, you're trusting him. Should not perish, which is the, the, the fate of every person. And that's not just the first death, that's the second death, that's hell. But have everlasting life, which is eternal life with God forever and ever without pain, without suffering, without disease, without cancer, without uh, conflict. It'll be a glorious day. And it's, it's free to anyone who just believes in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we also put these verses up, and we've had these on our wall for probably longer. Uh, my dad's favorite verses and mine too. For by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's by grace, right? We don't deserve it. And it's through faith. And it's not about us. And that's the problem with a lot of gospel presentations is we add in, even accidentally, 
little words that would imply works. Okay? We got to be so careful about that because if the person is listening to you and they think it's something they can do, then they're not trusting in Jesus completely, right? So we have to be so careful that we, it's all by God's grace through faith. Faith is the same concept as believe. Um, it's to place your faith, your trust in, not yourself, not your religion, but in Jesus and him alone, the son of God who died and rose again. And it's a gift of God. So all of you uh, know what a gift is. A gift is something that you give. It's received. It's just taken. If you make someone pay for it, if you make someone work for it, or if you take it back, it's not a gift, right? So it's a gift. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. No one will stand in heaven saying, I deserve to be here. All of us will be standing in heaven saying, but by the grace of God. And that's how we get to heaven, by the grace of God and our acceptance of the gift called eternal life. So if you've never received Jesus by faith, do it today. Do not delay.